mentioned, and this is, uh, we've been gone for two Sundays, which is always kind of weird. That's only, ha- that's, only, that's only the second time that's happened, um, that we haven't been with our, our people in this place on Sunday morning. So it's really good to be back. Uh, we went to the beach. We go there at the end of August every year. We go to Outer Banks. We have a condo that's right on the ocean and a uh, porch that overlooks the ocean. And I am a total beach bum. Like, I don't think I had a shirt on for like more than 10 hours uh, the entire time that we were there. Um, I could live on the beach with the occasional shower. Um, that would be good. But I, I mean, I love, I go out, we go out to the beach at like 9 a.m. and we would come back in at 6 p.m. every day. And we get hungry. We just walk up to the condo, grab something, walk right back out to the beach because it's 50 yards from the, the coast or from the actual wave. So man, I just love going on vacation uh, to that particular area. And um, there's a couple things I realized this vacation. Because you know, I don't know if you guys are like me, when you get away from like the normal life rhythm, it gives you a little bit more chance to breathe and to ponder and to think about stuff. I don't know. And I don't count, if you've been with me before, I don't count as visiting family as a vacation. That's a trip. That's fun, but that is a trip. And there's no time alone at all when you're visiting family. It is like one thing after another. Uh, but when you go on vacation, things just kind of slow down a little bit. All right, there's no alarm to wake up to. There's no meetings. There's no agenda. I didn't have my phone on the entire week. That was incredible. So I had a couple of realizations. Number one, Mr. Robot is a really good show. All right? <laughs> Seriously, that's the next show you've got to watch. Uh, and unfortunately, I waited until like two days before the trip was over to investigate this show that I'd heard about from a few of my friends. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And the first seven minutes of that show might be the best opening of any season of any show of all time. And that might be hyperbole, but the first seven minutes are incredible. The greatest hook. I was in. I was like, okay, I'm in. And I've been watching that a little bit here and there. Still slowly working my way through season one. But I would love to tell you about the first seven minutes. It's that fun. But I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to be that guy. I will give you this nugget of information. So if you don't take anything else away from what I say today, take this. It's free on Amazon Prime. Boom. All right, you've got your... That's, that's the big takeaway today, all right? The second thing I realized on vacation, and a little bit more serious, I love feeling the presence of God. And I, I want to take that a step further. I need it. I'm at the point in my journey in faith and with God that I am I'm addicted to his presence. I have to have it. And when I feel it, I can't get enough of it. And I had quite a few of those moments intermittently throughout the week where I very tangibly felt his presence. It might have been through a, a few moments of prayer or reading in scripture or even I was reading a lot of Henry Nouwen. I don't know if you've read him before, but he's like the, you know, one of the great Christian mystics and he's, he's really into this feeling the presence of God through solitude and silence and um, I love feeling the presence of God. And, uh, and even on vacation... I am prone to moments of anxiety, um, and I had a few of those moments, and there were a few moments where I was sitting on the porch or at, in my lawn chair on the beach, and I started thinking about stuff, and there was one particular topic that was causing me uh, anxiety, and it was money, and uh, I know when a pastor says that word, it's immediately like, whoa, like this is not a pastor money talk, this is a human being who struggles with financial anxiety occasionally talk. Do you ever have something like that where something just a certain, maybe it's a person, a situation, a topic, it just sits in your mind 
and it starts like slowly churning up this anxiety. It's not right uh, to, to have that, but it's very easy to get there and to kind of let your mind and your heart kind of like gain momentum as you dwell upon this. And it, for me, it can get a little out of control if I sit in that moment for too long. And I had that going on a couple, a few moments. Um, and it's not about personal finances because we're, we're like Dave Ramsey fans. We're debt-free. We don't have any debt. It's more, um, I'm, it, it, it was more church-related financial stuff. Um, because if you don't, if you're new, I'll give you a quick update or a little background info. Uh, this is a church plan. So we started less than four years ago. And it's like any kind of startup. You have to have a lot of outside funds to get it rolling. So you're not self-sustaining for quite some time. We're still not there. We're like 70% self-sustaining. And so it is a journey towards maturity and, and financial stability. And so for the last five years, as a, a startup, I've had to do my part-time job. I'm a full-time pastor and a part-time fundraiser. Is asking outside entities for support. That's just kind of been part of the rhythm. And it is constant. It's always there that like, okay, we, every month I get an update, financial report. Here's our expenses. Here's our income. Here's our outside support. And I've known for the last five years how long our church has until it could financially die. Three years ago, I got an email from my accountant. and was like, we're out of money. And uh, that's a pretty sickening email to get when you're in a meeting in Ohio and you're having a good time. And all of a sudden it's like, do you want to pay rent or do you want to pay payroll? Ugh, that'll cause some anxiety. Now, we're like six months. We have six months worth of savings in the bank. So, like, we're getting better, but th that just gives you some context about, like, the last five years of my, of my life and the numbers that cross my screen from, you know, every month and, and thinking about that. And it, it can cause me anxiety to think about it and worry. But I have found an increasing peace and contentment, not in physical or earthly circumstances. I, I have allowed and pursued God's presence in the middle of whatever is going on in my life, whether it's money, anxiety, or you can relate. Whatever, whatever is causing you anxiety or whatever's kind of weighing on you, um, I would, there's something incredible about pursuing the presence of God in those times and, and hearing his voice call out to me always leads me to a place of peace. He's the prince of peace. He said that for a reason. He is the good shepherd who speaks to his sheep with clarity and with strength and with hope. And I have found a lot of joy and a lot of peace in the midst of, of some, some, some stuff that can easily overwhelm me without him. So think about that. Let your mind go there for a second. What's overwhelming you right now? I don't want to cause you anxiety, but I, I want you to think about that for just a second because I want to invite Christ into it today. I want you to experience that emotion as we open up his story and look at his voice, or listen to his voice. And I want you to let your mind and your heart be influenced by his presence as we read the scripture. It's John chapter 10, and uh, it's page 748 in your Bible if you want to follow along. So John is a one of the biographies of Jesus. It's written by a guy named John. Uh, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He's the only one that died of old age, and he was Jesus' best friend. So just a little context there. He's got a really unique perspective on who Jesus is. And I'm reading a parable today. So Jesus spoke a lot in these symbolic stories called parables. So this is a parable that he is saying to the Pharisees to illustrate uh, a spiritual truth. So it's an earthly story, but it has a deeper meaning to it. So John 
10, and I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter 10. He said, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So we'll stop there. The sheep and the shepherd parable. So to understand the power of this parable, we need to understand the habits of Middle Eastern shepherds and their sheep at the time. Uh, and actually, most of these habits continue through today. These are kind of like long-worn uh, uh, traditions of, of, of this occupation of shepherd. Because shepherd is a job. Their job is to take care of sheep. Uh, where the money comes from is in this particular instance, and in, in most places, except for like Britain, where they eat a lot of sheep, uh, is wool. That that. The, the fact that you can use their wool and make clothing out of it. So the longer a shepherd can keep the sheep alive, the more money he's going to make. And a sheep can live like 10 to 12 years, I found out. I had to Google that. Uh, I had no idea. Like a dog. So it can live 10 to 12 years. The longer it stays alive, safer, fed, uh, the more money, the better livelihood that the shepherd is going to have. Uh, and so in order to keep them alive, the shepherd had to, had to do some... Uh, um, had to have some particular habits. So one thing he had to do is he had to find uh, different pastures for the sheep to graze in. He had to lead them to water. We're talking the Middle East here. There's not, this is not the Amazon jungle where there's water everywhere. And so finding different places uh, and different spots for the sheep to feed, uh, to drink, and then at nighttime to rest. Uh, and, and, and to find these spots are really important to the shepherd. Um, so what they did when they would find, uh, uh, as the sun was going down, they had a couple options. They could find a cave and, and herd all the sheep into the cave, uh, or they would find more, more oftentimes they would find, uh, go to a house. Most houses in that time period had stone wall front yards. So they had a walled front yard with one opening. So you could find a cave or you could usher in the sheep to this, this pen that had a stone wall around it and had one opening into it because sheep are easy targets for predators. They knew at night, if I have my sheep out alone, something bad's going to happen. Uh, so the shepherds would uh, oftentimes team up with other shepherds, and they would, there would be multiple flocks pushed into a cave or multiple flocks pushed into a house uh, yard. And then the shepherds would serve as the gate. So when Jesus says, I'm the shepherd and the gate, he, he really is meaning that. They, they served both roles because what the shepherds would do at night is they would serve as the human gate. They would lay down across the opening of the cave or the opening of the yard. So any predator that wanted to get in had to literally go over the shepherd who was armed with his staff and who was armed with a rod. He had two weapons that he could use to protect his sheep. So the shepherd was the gatekeeper and he was the protector of the sheep. And then the next morning, uh, he would get up and then you got all these sheep who belonged to multiple different shepherds. And the way that they would actually separate the flock. They didn't have collars for them. They didn't have sheepdogs. They would just simply call out a command and the sheep would recognize their shepherd's voice. So one shepherd would yell out and start walking. All of his sheep would separate themselves and walk out of the opening and follow him. And then the next shepherd would yell out and all of his sheep would naturally follow his voice because they would recognize their true shepherd's voice, their master's voice. And that's how they separated them. 
And so when Jesus is talking about this parable, we got to know a little bit of the context of what he's talking about because it really is a beautiful symbolic story of how he operates in the lives of people who have allowed him to be their shepherd. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. Now, there are competing voices in our lives. All right? And when I was on vacation, it was, you know, money, you know, financial anxiety. It was a, a voice that was trying to kind of get in my head. But that is not my true master. That is not anxiety, financial stuff. I, th- that is not my shepherd. That m- me following that, pursuing that like it is my shepherd, is only going to lead me to trouble. My true shepherd is Christ, and his voice is unique. So my first question to you today is, I don't know, everybody in the room, is, is have you allowed Christ to be your only shepherd? And I think if you're not a Christian, the answer is no. If you are a Christian, you're kind of like, yes and no. Does anybody else hate that answer when people say that? Yes and no. I'm like, no, that doesn't work that way. But we have those moments where we're like, yes, this week or this day or this hour, he is my shepherd. And then something bad happens. Like, no. Who's Jesus? What? Like you don't want to, he's just a complete afterthought. So we do have those moments where he is not our shepherd and we're allowing these conflicting or these competing voices to speak to us and have influence over us. And we have a tendency to respond to those voices sometimes. And so it can be other people's voices. Uh, For example, um, it's one of my kind of like constant... um, Oh, I don't even, I can't even think the, 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 the adjective to use. I just think about it a lot. Let's just go with that. I think about it a lot. Uh, the, the, uh, the voice of people's family plays in their lives, is, it, it, concern, it concerns me. Um, we, in America in particular, we have got a unique way of doing family in the United States. And I feel like a lot of the times we give people who are our family, like our in-laws or our mother and dad, or, father, our grandparents, our second cousins, whatever. There's some, it, can we all agree that there's something unique about the bloodline relationship with family? It makes us a little bit, act a little bit differently with them than we would with anybody else. A lot of times it's love. So I'm not saying that your family is evil. Uh, you can say that. I'm not saying that. Um, but they, they have a tendency to carry a weird influence in our lives, even as adults, uh, I, I see a lot of unhealthy boundaries uh, with, with family. And so it is something I, I'm constantly aware of. Like, I wonder why we, and I'm, I'm, it's a little easier for us because we literally have no family here. All of our family, the closest family members we have are 12 hours drive from here. So it's, it's a little easier for Carrie and I. Um, and we love our family. We have a great relationship with them. But they are not our shepherd. Their voices carry far less influence than the voice of Christ. We follow his voice. He is the lone shepherd of our emotions, of our decision making. And I, I, I feel like sometimes we give influence to people that maybe shouldn't have so much influence. And if you're under the age of 18, just forget what I'm saying. All right. Your parents are God right now. All right. It's later. Later when you're an adult is where their influence needs to drastically dissipate. dissipate. And here's what Jesus had to say about family. He defines it differently than we do. While Jesus, uh, this is Matthew chapter 12, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, hey, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my brother and who who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, 
He said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It's like, I want you to listen to my voice. Listen to me, all right? In, in Christ, the bloodline dissipates. It is now a spiritual bond. It is God is our common bond, and us as sheep responding to his voice. He is the lone shepherd. Um, another voice that we have competing with the voice of Christ is our own voice. I mean, we live in the DMV. We live in the land of ego, of intellect, of education, of pursuing the next step on the ladder. And it's very easy for our, to let our ego control our decision-making, to take the lead from Christ and not listen to our shepherd. The ego is a loud voice. It really, pride, I think C.S. Lewis called it the great sin. It can be one of the biggest barriers to listening to the true voice of the good shepherd. Um, simple advice, don't do it. Don't listen to it. Forget your ego. Forget your pride. There's so much freedom in that, in trusting in Christ and, and allowing him to lead you into a place of peace, something your ego could never do. All right? It just doesn't happen. I make mistakes every day. I am, there's no chance of me being perfect, and, and, but following Christ that there is because he is perfect, and his voice is never flawed. It never leads me astray. And so responding to him as my shepherd, uh, rather than my own thoughts, feelings, plans, that can lead me to really peaceful and, and Christ says abundant places. And so that's where we're going to go next. So later on in John 10, Jesus explains that he's a good shepherd. And here's what he says it will lead to if we follow his voice. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Love that word. Because in America, we're so scared of losing everything. All right, freedom, money, whatever it may be, security. There's this uh, posture of scarcity. And Jesus is like, no, 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 abundance. This is the radically countercultural claim of Christianity. That no matter what our physical circumstances dictate, we have an abundant love. That's all we need is his voice. That's it. We're good. That's radically different than what we're taught and, and the rhythms that we're um, guided into in our culture. Um, you may think living life to the fullest with your voice and control is good. It's not. There's one voice that leads to abundant life, and that's the voice of Christ. And I honestly think that's one of the harder points of our faith. If, I, if I'm, a, I'm a Christian and I'm going to put that on the table, like, that's a tough one to actually believe and follow. I mean, for, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, uh, once your intellect and your ego are going to get in the way of that. Like, now, I, I know, I got this. I mean, I can see, I say that a lot to myself. So, for, so believing that we should completely submit to the voice of Christ, that's going to mess with my ego and what I, had, the plans I have for my life. Now, on the flip side, for religious people, if you grew up in church, particularly if you grew up in the American church, there's this, like, um, DNA of fundamentalism. And, and I love the church but I've seen it, and people love fundamentalism. They love rigid law, black and white. You know, everything lines up. Take all these steps on the ladder to get to God. Like, but that's not Christianity. That's every other religion. That's not our faith. That's not historic Christianity. But I can see how we could gravitate to, 
to legalism and to moralism and to burdensome religion. That's who Jesus is talking to right now. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are constantly laying all these rules and laws and expectations on people and it's just weighing them down spiritually. He's like, that's nonsense. That is not how this rolls. That is not how my kingdom operates. But we gravitate to that because it's so pragmatic and because we can actually see results when we achieve these different steps. But it's a burdensome faith and it leads to, Christ calls it, it just, he says it leads to death. It does not lead to peace or contentment or an abundant life. Not, you may not be able to measure your faith. That's part of the, mis- the, the mystery of following Christ and, um, and, and part of the dependence of being a sheep to the shepherd. Of Like, I don't know where we're going today or this week or the next five years, but I'm going to follow his voice and I'm going to pursue the mystery of that and I'm going to allow that and dwell in it and enjoy it. So let's, I want to focus in on what Jesus says there. What does it mean to have abundant life? So there's two things I want to say about that. And the first one's going to be a lot longer than the second one. The first one, what it means to have an abundant life is to hear his voice and to feel his presence. And I talked about that when I was on vacation. All right, those moments where I felt his presence or, you know, I I didn't audibly hear his voice, but I, you know, when I, I was reciting scripture and stuff and I could feel his voice through scripture, uh, one of those things that, that, uh, in, in scripture that reminds me of this first point is in Second Corinthians, Paul is writing about this and he said that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Now grace is the biblical word that means unconditional love and constant presence. Like God is like, I'm with you always and I love you no matter what you do. You cannot earn my love and you cannot lose my love. It's just there and I'm pursuing your heart, I'm pursuing your mind. And that's Paul saying is like, that's all I need. It feels pretty good to be pursued. All right? When, when, like, my wife pursues me in some way, shape, or form in love, it feels pretty good. Like, when she says something, like, I'm a words of affirmation guy, she says something affirming to me, that's like water to my soul. That's a cold drink on a hot day. And that's like Jesus is all the time. He just keeps coming. So to hear his voice and to feel his presence is to live an abundant life. So I want to go back to the moments of anxiety I was experiencing on the beach. Um, in the past year, I've gotten really into this prayer rhythm of uh, stuff like reading the Psalms, which is Old Testament prayers, a lot, a lot of them written by a guy named King David. So I, I recite those audibly. I sing them, actually. I'll sing one for you here in a second. Um, you may take that away today. Maybe like a, something you want to like, I wish I could forget that. Um, <laughs> praying prayers written by other people. Like ancient prayers written by guys like St. Saint, uh, Francis and, you know, seeing these historic prayers that other Christians have prayed along the way over the last couple centuries, it's really cool for me to see, like, oh, like they had moments like this. I think sometimes we, we think of these people as like, oh, they're so much more mature than me or so they've got it all together. But to see them cry out and to see their prayers, I'm like, wow. So I love reading their prayers. I like listening prayer. I'm an introvert, so I love silence. Of course I do. Um, So I love to listen and and journal what thoughts God is putting on my mind. Contemplative prayer, a very mystical, mysterious practice. It's not easy to silence our mind and to to meditate on the literal presence of Jesus. Every day I close my eyes and I imagine me and Jesus sitting on the couch. And I have no agenda. 
That's contemplative prayer. You're just sitting there, and my eyes are closed, and I'm, I'm imagining what he smells like, what, he, what his voice sounds like, what he's saying. And it's amazing where he takes my mind in those moments. And so I've been practicing these, these prayers, and it's been kind of a spiritual discipline because I am not that guy. I'm not, I've never been a big prayer warrior. Uh, someone, it just that kind of thing is not something I really gravitate to, but I have over the last couple of years. So at the beach, and I was doing this a lot yesterday, actually. I was having some uh, other stuff come up in my head that I was thinking about, like some spiritual discontent with some certain stuff. Like, oh, that, that's, that's kind of where my mind goes. I'm always thinking about, like, that's got to change. And I start, like, thinking about all these things that need to change in the world, and it can get a little overwhelming because uh, it's, like, huge stuff. Like, how do we end war? That's not something that's like a simple answer, but that's where my mind goes sometimes. So I start singing the 23rd Psalm, and I chant it like a monk. So I learned that this is how monks recite the Psalms. They say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He revives my soul and guides me along right pathways for his namesake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup is running over. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know why I say it that way. It just slows me down. It's really, it's been, it's, it's just weird that it's, it's had that kind of, I mean, just saying it now. I mean, I don't like singing in front of people. And I just sing in front of like all you guys. But I was right, it took me right there. Like this, this calmness. I hear the voice of my shepherd when I read that. And I read, I, I say that psalm probably like 10 or 15 times a day. And I sing it out loud. Just like that, in the shower, in the car, when I'm around other people, I kind of lower my voice a little bit so they don't think I'm crazy. But I, I, I sing it all the time. And it really, it just, I, for me, I, I hear the good shepherd speaking my name. I feel his presence when I say that. And it didn't happen overnight, but singing those words now immediately brings the peace of God's presence. Now, a little caveat here. You will have seasons where you don't feel God's presence and you don't hear his voice. All right? Some have called it the wilderness. Uh, some have called it the dark night of the soul. But if you look throughout scripture, everybody that's responded to the voice of God has experienced this season. Seasons, and sometimes it's short and sometimes it's long, where they just don't hear God or feel God. So when you, and I say when because it's going to happen, and you might be in it right now, when you get there, Know that you are in good company. Right? This is part of the journey of, you know, when the, um, God will lead you, you are his sheep. He will lead you into a cave or into a pen and the sun will go down and you won't be able to see anything. You won't know where to go and you're just waiting to hear your shepherd's voice. It's one of those long nights, all right? Maybe there's scary stuff happening in your life, uh, Maybe there's some decisions that need to be made and you don't know what to do. And you're like, God, little help. And you're yelling out for him. Maybe a little cussing involved because you want your shepherd to speak to you. And he's just not saying anything because it's night. The light has not come up yet. 
but I just want to say to you, that is part of the journey. And most Christians, because we've done such a poor job of discipleship in the American church, we've given, like, if you just follow these three rules and all of my points in my sermon start with the same letter, you're going to be fine this week. That's bullcrap. All right? Part of our faith is the mystery and the, the night of waiting for our shepherd to speak and see what he's going to have to say. And he will speak again. The sun will come up. It will happen. Don't run out of the gate. Don't take off before the shepherd calls your name. Because the sheep takes off at night, it's an easy target for a predator. But most Christians take off running. They experience some sort of adversity or some sort of trial or conflict or spiritual like desert like I, I got nothing right now I don't even like thinking about prayer I don't even like being around Christians we've all been there don't run out of the gate wait for the shepherd wait for the light to come up because it will come and it will probably come when you feel like you're at the end of your rope you look at the Beatitudes like Jesus's opening sermon in the, in the message translation Eugene Peterson translated as, as uh, uh, blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. You're not blessed because you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed because Jesus is always going to, to he's not going to let you slip off the rope. And he's going to be there. The sun's going to come up. The shepherd will speak again. So stay in the tension. Stay in the unknown. Don't run out of the gate. Wait for your shepherd's presence. And it will lead to abundance. He's going to take you to a pasture you've never been to before. He's going to take you to a river to drink from that you've never been to before. I promise you that will happen if you stay in there and you live in the tension and you don't run before he speaks, before you feel his presence again. So I felt God's presence the other day. And I haven't been in one of those, I haven't been in the desert. It's been, I spent about 18 months there back in like 2014, 2015, and it was awful. Um, but God, I, I have felt God's presence in ways I've never felt it before. So going back to my financial anxiety, um, I part-time fundraiser for the last five years. I spent a lot of time on the phone and in meetings and on trips asking people and churches to support our church financially until we get to self-sustainment. And uh, I love these meetings. I'm like, the adrenaline's flowing. I cram as many in meetings into this 36-hour trip as I can. I go to Indiana a lot because I know a lot of, that's where I grew up. I know a lot of churches in Indiana. So I'll schedule like 10 meetings in 36 hours, and I'll just be driving all over Indiana um, to meet with these churches and to tell them stories about our church and Silver Spring and what God's doing in us and through us. And I'll share some of the tough stuff, some of the good stuff. I love it. This is the first time I've ever been on a trip in five years, the second day of the trip, where I didn't want to do what I was doing. I had no, I was like, I don't, ugh, I don't want to do this today. I'd rather go golfing. I just didn't want to, and it was a really weird feeling. I felt like this black cloud over my head all day long, and I was going to these different meetings, and uh, I was finishing them up. I was on my eighth meeting, my final meeting before I was going to go to the airport, and um, I hadn't secured any financial commitments in my first seven meetings, which is not unusual. Um, the eighth meeting, I'm, I'm sitting in there with my friend Mark, who's a pastor, and I've, we've met like 10 or 12 times. And uh, a couple things happened that have never happened in five years of, of raising funds. Uh, I asked him for a specific amount, $15,000, and he turned around to look at his computer, and I saw he had a spreadsheet on his computer 
And in my mind, I'm like, he's looking for money. That's never happened. Let me tell you, fundraising is everybody telling no to you, and you just keep knocking on the door and annoying them until they say yes. Or even if they want to support you, they always say, well, I got to talk to the board, or I got to talk to the team, or I got to talk to some There's always someone that needs to be talked to before they can make a decision. I've never had someone actually entertain my request and look to see how much money they could give me. The second thing that's never happened is he turns around and he says, we can give that to you. No one has ever given me the amount I've asked for. Five years, probably over a thousand requests of, will you give me this, give us, not me, give our church this amount. No one's ever given me the amount I've asked for. He gave me the exact amount I asked for. It was, un now, this is where I felt, I, and then the third thing that happened that's never happened at any fundraising meetings, I started crying. I, and it was like, and it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a cry of a relief of anxiety. The money had literally nothing to do with it. It was, I felt God's presence. Like when I was reading that psalm, I felt it. It was the same feeling I felt in that meeting. I've never felt that before. I felt it, and I, and I started like getting choked up trying to talk to Mark about it. And uh, it was pretty cool to feel God's presence. And it really had nothing to do with the, the external circumstances. It was just my shepherd saying, see, like, I got this. That is a really cool feeling. Because <laughs> let me tell you, it had nothing to do with my energetic presentation that day. It was not there. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it just wasn't there. I was already thinking about, like, checking in at the airport. It was just a really powerful moment um, to feel God's presence. And uh, there's a song I've talked about before. It's by U2. It's called Miracle Drug. And uh, in it, the lead singer Bono, uh, he says these words. I've seen enough that I'm not giving up on the miracle drug. And that's, that's the sound of God's voice. It's the miracle drug. And you never build up tolerance to it. It actually gains steam the more that you use it. The more you experience God's presence, the more you respond to your shepherd's voice, the more power <clears throat> it gains in your life. I told you that was going to be a long point, number one. The second thing uh, about living, about what does it mean to have abundant life, it's to obey his voice. Kingdom obedience leads to kingdom abundance. If you want an abundant life, respond to the voice of God. And that goes for every area. That goes for your finances, your sexuality, your relationships, uh, loving enemies. You look at the biographies of Jesus, you look at what he says and what he does and how he acts, and you imitate that. You obey that because that is our living example. And if your life is out of line with some of that, get it in line with that because it will lead to abundance. Now, God loves us unconditionally, but there is a cause and effect relationship with him. When we take steps further into his kingdom, and we trust him as our shepherd, abundance will increase in our life. And not in like the prosperity gospel, shallow, like American dream thing. I'm talking like, like a peace and a joy and a hope that is otherworldly. Like an ability to be generous like you never thought you'd be generous. To, an ability to serve people like you never thought you'd be able to do. Right? He will lead you into an, a place of abundance when you respond to his voice. When God is your shepherd, and you trust his voice with your entire life, good things are going to happen. Listen to his voice and follow his voice. That's what it means to have an abundant life. Let's pray.